On today's Venture Pill, we have Pierre Richelson, CEO and co-founder of Cal.com, the open source scheduling platform hoping to connect 1 billion people by 2031. Yeah, Pierre's the man. We really could have gone on for hours with this one. A lot of great topics covered. First, you're going to hear about the origin story behind Cal.com and how it's grown in just a year's time. We'll also get into how Cal.com differentiates itself by being open source, attracting global talent, and building a third-party app store. And to round out the episode, we'll get into their fundraising journey, hot off of a recent $25 million Series A, and their growth plans moving forward to reach their North Star metric of 1 billion people connected. This one was really a blast. Pierre sure gave us a healthy dose today. Yes, yes he did. And uh, we're excited to dive in. Here it is. This is Venture Pill with your hosts, Brandon and Sam. We're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of startups and venture capital to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture. All right. Well, we welcome on Pierre Richelson, founder and CEO of Cal.com. Welcome to Venture Pill. Welcome to the show, Pierre. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on, and and uh, we were able to use Cal.com to schedule this, so, uh, you know, <laughs> working well, and, and uh, yeah, able to do a little reschedule there, so appreciate you working with us. Uh, we're really excited to yeah. hear the story of Cal.com, learn a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, and see where the conversation takes us. Awesome. Yeah, it, it was great hearing, uh, hearing about us on, on your uh, episode, I don't know, two, three weeks ago or something. Um, and I was just thinking of reaching out and, you know, make it a full episode. Why not? <laughs> yeah, certainly the power of Twitter, right? Uh, you know? Yeah. Oh my, Twitter is amazing. I have a, a bunch of German founders that I'm kind of like advising and I just tell them, just go on Twitter. Like the most important programming language is English. And the second most important place you need to be like is your desk and Twitter. <laughs> like that's just if you want to do anything in, in tech, that's just the way it goes. Totally. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you reaching out and glad we were able to schedule this. Um, I guess to start off, we'd love to hear kind of the story of Cal.com. How did you start it? How did you know it was worth going all in on? And we can go from there. Yeah, um, it's it's a very interesting story because um, like those startups, you can't always just like plan in advance and like this year I'm going to do this. Um, so it really is like a, like a, like a domino reaction. Uh, so I was, I think when I started working in tech, um, the most important milestone for me, like personally was doing YC in 2019, like just getting really close to entrepreneurs and, and really understanding how to run a startup. Everything before was just like not knowing what you were doing and just, somehow succeeding or, or failing but um and then during yc um i just learned so many like amazing entrepreneurs uh and and heard about their problems and obviously connecting people is one of the facebook is like one of the biggest missions you can have um and probably also one of the most valuable problems to solve and and ha helping people meet so that was always on the back of my mind but i didn't consider it that this is going to be like my my spiel in 2021 20, and 2022 um what happened with the company in 
uh, that did YC was we had to shut it down during uh, COVID. Um, we were running a, a marketplace and fulfillment center and shipping physical goods. And it was just really, really hard, as you may imagine, with COVID restrictions to operate. Um, and then um, having like shut down that business in the peak of COVID in 2020 um, with employees, um, we didn't really know what to do. And so I, I had a couple of other YC founders in like a Slack channel who were also shutting down. Um, and we were, everyone was like, we need work. We happy to write code, like uh, write HTML for food or something. <laughs> um, classic, classic meme, write code for food. Um, and this, this Slack channel was just, we called it book a YC team because that was what it is. You, you just book uh, two co-founders to work on a two, three, four week project um, to bring in some revenue for the team. And so some companies, some YC founders did that to like offset their lack of revenue in the market. Um, but what we've seen is that some teams were actually being acquired. So they joined as a project, as a contractor, and then they worked at whatever we had. Uh, I think the biggest customers were like uh, anywhere from, I, I need to double check that, but like I think automatic at some point and, and LTSE, you know, the long-term stock exchange. So like really cool companies uh, we've been working with. Um, hired these YC founders. So it was a bit different because it was, I, I, the idea was to book people initially for like a two week contract trial and then they became, became full-time employees. So that, that company or that project wasn't even incorporated, turned into leanhire.com, which was uh, the business I ran before cal.com. And initially it was just like, hey, you should talk to that person by email, like, hey, like a classic recruiter slash contractor mitigator. Um, but as you scale a marketplace, you want to automate some things. And we were looking into the market of tools, um, how to schedule calls, right? Because that's basically what a hiring marketplace is. You, you filter people by, by, by talent, and then you filter companies by resources, and then you match them essentially. And um, we were using Calendly because that was just whatever people were comfortable using with and uh, what was obviously still the biggest player in the market, but Calendly is not built for these infrastructure use cases, right? It's a, it's an amazing consumer product. And, and I, I love Calendly when I was, I mean, I wouldn't be building Cal, which is essentially like an open source version of it if I didn't like Calendly. Um, but for me as a marketplace operator, we ask people to like, hey, give me your Calendly link. And then we like edit it to the outbound email. Like here's your link, book this contractor. But then for us as an operator, we didn't know if the booking happened, if it was rescheduled, if uh, at what time it was booked, if it was a successful conversation, because you, you, you take the conversation outside of your own product and you don't have the data and you don't have any insights. And sometimes people submitted a wrong Calendly link or um, had a, like a, a, a typo in it and it threw a 404. So for us as a marketplace, it was just really bad um, to schedule people and at scale, you know, if you have a 5% error rate, if you have a thousand bookings, then your whole customer support is just companies complaining that something didn't work. So my first gut reaction was literally to go on Google and be like open source Calendly, because that's what I was looking for. Something that I could like self-host, own the data and make changes to it, white label it, completely re remove the branding and make it feel like it's my product. Um, the way you would spin up WordPress as a blog or, or Ghost or some of the other open source uh, companies. Um, and to my very own surprise, it was like zero results for that query. And it's it's not like it's 
it's an uncommon query, right? Like there were Reddit posts of people asking for, is there anything like that? There is Hacker News posts like, hey, does anyone know an open source currently? I need this for my whatever therapy marketplace. And and that day, I think I bought a domain and set up a landing page and and like just build a very very shitty, like horrible, <laughs> trashy, trashy prototype and send it to a bunch of my colleagues that I knew was running marketplaces. And with Lean Hire, I had some some um, knowledge around like Toptail. I was talking to the founder of Gigstar, and they all said they build it in house. Like that was core IP that they built themselves. And 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 that's just unnecessary because you wouldn't build your own billing platform nowadays when stripes exist right so yeah and that re- really is the the origin story um and uh i'd say like half of the like how we came up with this um and the other side of the story is, is equally funny <laughs> so uh yeah that's kind of like the, the the first first uh first few months of, of getting into this topic yeah well, that's that's an awesome story. Great to hear the origins of Cal.com. You touched up on it there, Pierre, but can you explain a little bit more about why open source software is important? What are some of the advantages? And how is Cal.com going to compete with other scheduling software like Calendly? I think when you have a developer product, uh, the best thing you can do is be open source because that just invites everyone to take ownership, to make changes, to... Um, you know, write proposals. You don't need to be an engineer to be active in open source, right? You can write documentation, you can uh, help triage issues and and fix things. Um, I think open source is now, especially, I mean, we have sort of like a crypto crash, but obviously every cryptocurrency is open source by design. Um, There's really like this renaissance of of, um, owning your data, owning the code, um, independence of of uh, of, uh, of third parties, um, especially once you go into enterprise and governments and highly regulated industries, they have like this massive list of compliance that a typical SaaS company doesn't comply with. Like HIPAA compliance is just something. It's really hard to get all the SOC two and ISO and certificates to be selling into someone like IBM, Amazon, and and other enterprise companies. With open source, you don't have that because they are responsible for their own infrastructure. Like, you take the code, and obviously you do security audits, and we have a security team to make sure there's no bugs and no data being exposed. But we are in the business of selling technology, like selling software licenses, whereas a SaaS company is also kind of like responsible for the, the rent. Like, you rent it out with all the risks of downtime, security, uh, data breaches, um, and, and like really struggling to sell into big enterprise. So I think any listener who who wants to be a developer focused, like Cal- Calendly is a sales tool, like it's primarily used by um, people in sales and marketing for consumers or podcasters, you know, it's like a very um, B2B, B2C centered uh, product. Whereas we see us more as a fundamental infrastructure developer tool where we sell to engineers, we sell to head of technologies, head of engineering. Um, and if, you, if you've ever seen engineering teams uh, talk about SaaS versus open source, open source usually wins just because it's also, you have the longevity. What happens if this random startup just dies? You know, if we, 
we, we're, we're quite fortunate to have raised some funding, but let's say we were just an indie shop. No one could say if we just shut down our servers in two months, right? We could easily do that. With open source, you have this longevity, you have the, the massive community. If we end up not contributing to the source code anymore because we feel like we need to pivot, then the community can take over and be like, all right, here's the most up-to-date fork and this is the new whatever version of um, something. Um, and we've really seen like this longevity with crypto, but now also applied. I mean, technically open source was first, right? But like people now, like this idea of owning data and, and, and code is, has really gone mainstream. And that's why we see so many open source alternatives to uh, existing companies. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, you mentioned you guys did raise a bit of funding. Uh, it was a $25 million Series A led by 776, yep. right? And Alexis Ohanian. Talk us through that process. What, first of all, we're curious, what, what made you think you needed or wanted to raise VC funding? And then how did you uh, end up partnering with those investors? I think um, to start from scratch, we did raise a seed round, which was actually 7.4 million, pretty much two weeks after Product Hunt, or like within the first two weeks of Product Hunt. Um, we were very surprised slash fortunate to be product of the day, week, month, almost product of the year. Um, and and that just, as you may imagine, if you have a good team, good product, good growth, your inbox will automatically fill up by people who want to like invest in, 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 in the future. And so we were very fortunate to be talking to a range of great VCs, uh, angel investors. We've raised from over 35 uh, individuals some of them are like Naval, Balaji, um, or co-founders of open source companies like MongoDB and Confluence. And so it's really, um, that, that round initially was very out of the door. Hey, let's like go really for the big price because I've been building small companies and, and like, like bootstrap companies. I've been building VC funded companies with YC, which never got beyond the point of like a proper seed round or something. Um, and and uh, I think it's, for me, it's more about like really having this big um, mission of, for us, it's connecting a billion people by 2031. And it's not about going public, but you need resources to reach that mission. It's really, really hard without any single funding. And I appreciate all of the indie developers who are making a, a killing and, and a living, but um, making, let's say a million a year as a indie dev is amazing it's really not good as a VC funded business, right? So um, for us, it was always about um, having the resources, also the longevity, you know, the funding gives you confidence selling into enterprise companies. Some of our customers are like, hey, we wanna sign an SLA agreement for five to 10 years. Can you like guarantee us that runway? And if you're an indie dev or a, a, a small, like a $2 million seed round or, or less than that, and you have 12 months of runway, it's really hard to convince yourself, yes, we have that runway, we can provide you a 10-year whatever service support. Um, so those are the, like, the, the thoughts we had in our, in our mind when we talked about like fundraising and where we want to bring this company. And um, it would be totally different if it was a different business and different industry. Like I think people always want to hear like the best fundraising advice and I, I don't think that exists. Like every industry, every company is different. Um, for us going really like the long way and we still have like a super low burn to ensure that we have like that long um, for our enterprise customers um, is I think a, a really important uh, step 
And then we raced the Series A about 10 months after, like really short amount of time. Um, obviously, looking back, it was uh, the peak of, of the, the bull market that we've all been yeah. <laughs> riding for pretty much my entire career. So I, I think, uh, I mean, sure, 2008 uh, was like, what, almost, oh my God, time flies. <laughs> Um, like I was a teenager, like I barely cared about what's happening in the market, but um, I think um, I have a good friend, actually, Kyla, she's doing YouTube videos and she's amazing and she talks a lot about macro, a shout out to Kyla, she, you should follow her. Um, and that really got me interested in like macro and like uh, global politics and like how markets change, how cycles work and and um, about, I think, like November or December, I was already like, ah, oh, this bull run after COVID doesn't feel right, you know, market is off with reality. And, and so the, the only decision we had was like, do we want to raise more funding? Yes, because, you know, connecting billion people probably requires north of $100 million in, in funding. And the second one is like, when is the best time for us to have as much equity for, for the team, best terms, uh, best round, best partners, right? And and the only question is, is it going to be better today than in six months, right? So we could have raised the Series A in two years or three years or four years with the first seed round. But um, especially like the, the thinking about what the market can look like in a couple of years, we really wanted to make sure that we have like not only dodged the bullet, but like do all the things before someone starts shooting, right? And I think that was, that was really, really smart to be... Um, like taking a preemptive, we didn't go in the market and raise a series A, like it was more like a preemptive term sheet after having great conversations. Um, and so far everyone's super happy. I mean, um, we, we know that it's very early into the company. We have a ton to prove. It's still a super small team. Um, so we're not going crazy, like, like a fast or something that just goes out and hire 150 people or something. Um, but I think everyone in the team is just super happy that we can, tell them, hey, like, this is a stable job. You can focus on your mental health, family, friends. It's like, it's a really interesting mix of European and American culture, in my opinion, because that's, that's a, it's an American company, but both of us are European founders. And um, yeah, it's really good that we have this longevity in mind and not like this go fast and crazy as you can, um, especially now with a beer market is coming up. Um, yeah, I think more companies need to have like, a bull market vision, but with like a beer market mindset to operate. Um, that usually has, if you look at other companies, the best outsized returns. And talk to us a little bit more about like Alexis and some of those prominent angels that you have. What what kind of advice have you gotten from them and how, how have they impacted the way you've grown the business? Yeah, um, there's so I mean, maybe we've gone a bit over the top with the amount of people because there's only so much you can talk to people right like um i think by now it's 40 angel investors or something um and so there's some people i've never talked to yet um but that doesn't mean that it will never come up you know sometimes it's just an intro to someone that they know and and or they bring their own portfolio companies as a customer and they vouch for it like sometimes it's not about the conversations but also the network that some people can tap into um, or you write an investor report and you have a very specific one-line ask and then someone out of the 40 people is like, yes, I know that person, let me shoot you an intro. Um, I'd say the most um, impactful ones 
are uh, Naval is amazing. Having him on a on a speed dial is is great. And he, we just chat, but like not no calls. I I rarely do calls either, which is kind of odd because <laughs> and stuff. But I, I, I there's also a great topic about that. I wrote a tweet of like when to use a sketch, like when to schedule and when to just stay on email or Slack. Um, typically, email and Slack wins. Um, but like. Um, Obviously, the scheduling is super important for all this stuff you cannot do. Like, you can't record a podcast over email. Yeah. It's just facts. So, um, yeah, so Naval is great for, like, just um, grow. And he has just invested in so many companies. I've seen so many companies go sideways and, and really discuss um, bigger vision and bigger, bigger picture. I'd say the most important one right now is JJ, who led our seed round. Um, I'm pretty much talking to him every two, three days, um, sometimes more. Just because um, he lives and breathes open source, he has seen every business model in open source. He's probably probably invested in the most open source companies um, today, and he runs Open Source Capital, who who led our seed round. Um, so typically not an angel, but obviously as a lead investor, I'm very very incentivized to make this work. Um, and then uh, Liu Jiang is great. She used to work at uh, Sequoia. She was really insightful to um, like build the early Series A um, conversations and, and how we think of board members and board compositions. Um, and um, yeah, Alexis has been amazing. Um, funny enough, uh, the, I'd say the um, later the stage, and obviously Series A is my first Series A, I think you have less conversations, but more like really hard problems. So like the day-to-day stuff, like Series pre-seed or series seed is like, how do I find product market fit and, you know, make this work? And then I think, and those are like sometimes daily conversations you have with people. Um, Series A, and we're like not the typical Series A company again because it's like 10 months into the company, um, is more about like really like board meetings and uh, and company strategy, long-term financing of the company um, and well-being of, of everyone. So it's, it's, it's more like grand scheme, hard to solve problems where it's not like, hey, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. Um, and, and so Alexis is great. He gives us all the freedom we need to operate. Um, he's a board member of, of, of Cal, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you want to have people who, who are there for you if you need them, but who are not like pretending they are smarter than you or, or being super heavily involved and, and forcing things onto the founders that may be toxic to the company. Um, I've done my fair share amount of angel investments and I have no idea what's going on in those companies. <laughs> so if I would be like, hey, you should do this, like, uh, then I'd say all of these companies would go down. Uh, and <laughs> so I think, I think the best is to just shut the fuck up and then help when, when, you, when, when they ask you to help. That's at least my approach for angel investing. Um, so yeah, that's uh, 776 is a great firm. Um, the whole team is really involved and also they have great mental health uh, focus and doing good for the world. There's some firms out there who really just want to flip some coins and, and make uh, a thousand extra returns. And I, you know, that's capitalism, you know, go for it. Like foreign exchange trading is the same, you know, you're not really making any value. You just arbitrage some currencies. But um, I think 776 is really into uh, positive impact and, and also obvious ventures who co-led the seed round or, or joined the seed, uh, Series A, sorry, who joined the Series A um, is just super into climate and positive impact and um, human 
focused capitalism. So it's really great partners to to be working with. That's that's awesome to hear. We thank you for sharing. We we are big fans of Alexis. We seem to be mentioning him or seven seven six every other episode. <laughs> well, you should get. Have you had a podcast with him? I can get him on. Yeah. Can, well, him, uh, I met him at South by Southwest and just let him know. You know that okay. we, we had the podcast. It was the early days, sure. but we'd love yeah, an intro. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to have I'll him. Send on. it over. Yeah, sure. If you have a topic or something, or maybe uh, you want to have multiple guests and everyone has a small segment. I know his time is short, but um, yeah, maybe there's something I can That'd send be over. Awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We, we would be happy with two minutes of talking <laughs> to Alexis. Nah, you got, you, I'll make sure you have more than two, maybe four minutes. <laughs> well, we'll be sure to book it through cal.com. Um, sure. Yeah, really remarkable that seed round that you were able to raise after just a couple weeks of a prototype. That's I've never heard anything like that, but... Shifting gears really quick, Pierre, you are a serial entrepreneur. You've started a lot of businesses, uh, including Bordifies.com, Mage app, and Learn Hire. And, you know, please add more if there, if there are more. But Oh, I, I think there's so many that no one has heard of yet. I mean, uh, 20-ish projects that could have turned into a startup that never took off. And then you just not even bother incorporating a company, right? So the... The four you mentioned were just the like legally incorporated <laughs> ones, but yeah, I mean, if you if you spend ten years in tech, you end up building twenty, thirty, fifty products that never take off. So fair enough. Yeah. So so what is it about entrepreneurship that keeps you coming back for more? And how do you plan on leveraging your experiences with those four legal companies or the twenty brain thoughts, you know, brain companies that you've had? How do you plan on leveraging those experiences to take Cal.com to the next level? I think. What's kind of interesting is that um, all of the projects kind of like build on top, like like dominoes that get bigger and bigger. Um, you don't just like start with the biggest domino and, and build SpaceX, right. right? Like I think if you take a look at any career, um, people start with like, what was it called? Zipline or something like this zip thingy from Elon Musk, like the first startup that turned into or Seoul and then X.com, PayPal and SpaceX and Tesla. Like um, I think it's important for people to start really small and be taking up all the fundamentals and how to run a business like stuff that's scary in the first year is like just easy going now like accounting and like bookkeeping and stuff like that but if you've never done that it's really fucking scary so if you have if you try to build uh, a billion dollar company with the first swing that can work but it's also way harder than just practicing with a wooden sword um initially so I think for me, um, all of these and Bodyfies was just like an e-commerce online, like a, a, a pretty much like not a dropship product because I physically shipped it, but like a, just an e-commerce play when I was like 17, 18, um, vastly different than uh, other things after. Um, so I think learning with a small wooden thing is nothing like at any age, if you're 40 you can start a marmalade store on, on shopify and then you know grow it into the biggest marmalade marketplace people <laughs> i've ever seen um and and so I, I don't think it's a matter of age it's just what you're comfortable with how much risk you want to take and the more new things you add into your daily diet the harder it gets and for me the the mage app for example was a german company um and i have a lot of thoughts about that which i would never advise to any international uh, focused company to have a German company because it's just so hard to operate. Um, but I didn't know that, right? So when we then shut that business down, I was like, all right, international focus, 
protecting a billion people. There's not a billion people living in Germany, so may as well not start a company in Germany. Um, and and then really set it up the way it needs to be. Delaware C Corp, like correct cap table, correct stock. Use something like Stripe Atlas or or at, um, Angelus Stacks or or Clerky to really be standards. No drama, no like weird things. Uh, to be have all that time to focus on on product and company. Um, and yeah, I mean the amount of side quests you have when you just have something really non-standard. Every time you issue shares to someone or you raise funding. Everyone's just like, how do we do this? Like, no one knows. And and now with Clerky or some other of these tools, you just print PDF, save, send it over, DocuSign it, wire the money. Uh, yeah, it's it's like these learnings you make um, as you as you start a company, sell it or shut it down, whatever. You just apply them to the next company and it just gets easier and easier. Like the fundamentals, the the creative risk is still the same, but I think you need to focus on spending most of your time on the creative risk and not on the operational risk. Right. And having that experience really must help as the companies that you build evolve, having that experience to lean back on and look back on must be extremely helpful. Um, Quick follow up on that. How do you strike a balance between wanting to expand and build new products and look forward to your next raise, but also make sure that you're building internally with the infrastructure responsibly so you don't get in over your skis? Um, I, I mean, we have, a we have a few initiatives in the company that have different tempo, like the infrastructure approach where you, we sell into enterprise has a way different roadmap and, and capital demands and, and operational risk than the B2C consumer, which is self-serve, low touch, uh, revenue coming in. Um, so like, it's not really a real easy way to like give a, a generalized answer, but I think um, we know that infrastructure takes a ton of time, a ton of sa- like long sales, like six months, seven, eight months of sales to close someone like one of these enterprise companies, Fortune 500. Um, and so I think it's less about like what you do immediately with that money, but to just know, okay, we need that money eventually, we will deploy it for sales to or or long like provide longevity to the company um i think most founders don't end up raising uh x amount of money saying here's the pie chart of how we deploy the money like a pie chart maybe but with like five percent ten percent twenty percent like really vague um percentages um usually companies raise funding based on market demand um and like how much they need to grow into that valuation um, or that whatever cap. For us, that's just um, it was a, it was a bit of market testing and, and what's out there and, and not like we need 25 million immediately to go after that uh, opportunity. No, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. There's some people who say only raise as much as you need. And that's also true, especially now with the beer market. Raising is going to be really, really tough. Um, my line of thinking was knowing to be in a bull market um, to raise um, a lot of funding on great terms. Because that way, if you don't spend it super fucking fast, you have all the time to focus on product and operations and not fundraise every 12 months. It's distracting. Some fundraisers take three months, so you're already down to nine months a year of, of actual work 
plus the mental effort, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, the approach that we did is a bit different. Um, some companies raise, you know, fast, raised a hundred something million and burned it in two months, uh, <laughs> two years. Uh, two months would be, but wow, that would be, that would be nuts. That would be a story. All right, wh who's doing that? Um, I, w I want to read the TechCrunch article. This startup burned 50 million in a month. Um, no, but um, so there's different approaches. Some companies raise a ton of funding and have 12 months of runway. Some companies raise a ton of funding and have, I don't know, we, I guess we have infinite runway with the revenue coming in as well. Um, and that feels really good. Like having the gun off your chest and being able to provide for your team, like however you want is, is, is amazing and gives a really good um, signal to the market and the, the, the team and the sales. Um, that's how we think of, of uh, financing a business. Great. Uh, you mentioned your team. We want to hear a little bit more about them. And something that certainly stuck out to us uh, looking at your website was your emphasis on, on the team and providing a good work culture. Something we saw was that you aren't tying salaries to location-based you know, cost of living. Talk to us about that. What's your, what's your view on bringing in talent and in this remote culture and things like that? I think um, every company should focus on like something. Contrarian is a weird word nowadays. Usually contrarians are just like, oh, I said something contrary. No, you're just a dickhead. Sorry. Um, no, but I think every company should do something contrarian, which um, is still based on some valid arguments, um, like rationality. And for us, it was like, all right, so I'm traveling. Like frequently, I'm a remote nomad. I'm I'm in different countries over, throughout the year, um, and what's my location? Like, what's my local pay? So that's already like good question. And then there's people who move after being hired. Do you lower their salary? Do they need to report to your manager? Like, would you report to your manager if you move from San Francisco to Italy, where suddenly your 200k is like 10x more than maybe not 10x, but like 5x more than your local salary? Um, what if you move in with your, with your teammate and suddenly you're making five X more than your colleague who is the same position, right? So as soon as you start thinking about localized salaries, there's a ton of issues we have and there's all kinds of calculators and what even is market rate? What is cost of living? Like we've seen how fl fluctuating the market can be in terms of rent and, and like, do you update it monthly? People don't want to have a monthly different paycheck. Um, there's a ton of uh, problems with uh, localized salaries. That that being said, there's a ton of problems with flat salaries, like like, like global salaries. Um, but what we've seen doing, you know, like kind of like a pro and con is most of the issues you have with global salaries is you cannot tap into Bay Area markets. We have not hired a single person from the Bay Area because our salaries are just not high enough. Um, and if we would want to compete with Facebook or Twitter, we would probably need to pay 250 in like half a million equity and some like insane compensation that would just blow up the entire company's mor morale, right? Basically, because why is this junior? Like we had juniors apply for 250 a year, and I'm like, that's twice than our seniors. So like, sorry, we like, thank you for applying, <laughs> but please work at Facebook. Yeah. Um, and 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 so that's kind of like a down. I don't really see that as a real downside yet. May eventually Series B and beyond, you hire executives and, and head of growth, and, and which you really need to like win that potential hire from a certain um, position or company. So that may eventually 
come back, but then we can still make slight adjustments to our uh, payroll or, or communicate to the team, hey, this is a one-time exception because of X, Y, Z. And um, but yeah, um, and the the other downside is you pay people in uh, in let's say low-wage countries a lot more. Now that is great in my opinion because I think the best we can do if you think about um, global impact as a company is to elevate communities that have been left behind by governments, like anyone, right? So we have engineers from, let's say we have two engineers from India, we have people from Pakistan, we have an engineer from anywhere from Ireland. Let me actually open up the map. (laughs) Uh, Because it's, um, there's so many different uh, cultures coming together that um, you wouldn't have in a homogenic San Francisco-based team, right? Uh, yeah, Mexico, Uruguay, Serbia, Canada, USA, Mexico, Canada, Ireland, United Kingdom. Um, and everyone in the team really appreciates the, the, the global, like, pay-for-your-work kind of approach. Um, because at the end of the day, you're, ba- you're paid, sorry, you're, you're compensated by the work you do. Everyone at least appreciates some sort of meritocracy. Now, meritocracy doesn't exist in the pure essence, but... If I do the same work as my colleague, I should get paid the same. I think that's a statement that everyone can like co-sign. And then if that colleague makes three X more just because they chose some, most of the time chose to live in Tokyo or live in, in San Francisco for, for whatever reasons, um, then uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense for us. And so, yeah, we have said no to some people who, who are in super high, some, sometimes even Norway can be super expensive, which... Uh, we can't really pay you. But I think being able to really support communities, and, and we have some engineers who pay for the entire family, right? Um, especially with co- during COVID and stuff. Um, that money gives so much more back to, um, I think, our society than just being very market-localized driven. Um, happy to jump on a, on a panel with people to, that say it's completely ridiculous, but there's more companies that do that. Um, and I think it's the future. If you take a look at DAOs, you purely get paid by the contributions you make. People don't know where you're from. People don't have even an avatar. They just have a monkey <laughs> face and, and, and make money. I think if you take a look at where the web is going, we become citizens of the web and no one really gives a fuck your gender, race, color, eye, eye color, hair color. You just a name in a Discord or in a Slack, and you you make incredible work, and you should be compensated equally. Agreed, and that's that's incredible to have such a global team that you mentioned there. That's that's got to be awesome to get so many different perspectives there. It is, you know, you know, we we, we once, uh, and that's an interesting topic to talk about because there's some relevant uh, conversations with Coinbase and Basecamp like this. No politics uh, thread that or article that they've posted. Some of you may have seen that, basically saying like. We don't want to talk about elections, like keep that for yourself. And and I talked to the team about like introducing our own kind of like what's appropriate policy around politics and stuff. And and everyone was like, we don't have a government in common. Like, I don't give a shit about elections in Germany. Like, they were saying like, I don't give a shit about <laughs> elections in Germany. I don't give a shit about whatever happens with the prime minister of India. And then, the, you know this whole conversation becomes completely meaningless once you have a global team where everyone's like, I just want to have meaningful work, have good conversations, be respectful and, and be like treated uh, like correctly. Um, and so 
yes, you can talk about like Ukraine because in my opinion, it's not like a left or right thing. It's just some country invaded a sovereign country and that's against like human uh, international law. So it's like, sure, we have those conversations and we do our best to support them and, and, and help uh, like those causes. But anything else like this politician did that oh my god like it's just not a topic because no one gives a shit like no one gives a fuck we don't even need to write that policy because it's just uh non-existent in a in a truly global team because there's just so many different perspectives that's awesome and so sam mentioned one thing that caught our eye about cal.com was the way y'all creatively attract talent another thing was the app store that you're launching on top of cal.com i think we saw it coined as the app store for all things time. Um, tell us a little bit more about the strategy behind launching that and what the vision is moving forward. Yeah, um, so the app store for time was kind of like the announcement video for the Series A as well. We put that in one video just to save time. <laughs> um, and and um, I, think it's a, I think it's one of our most important projects inside of the company, especially for like targeting consumers because those are the ones who connect different apps, HubSpot and, and uh, Zoom and other apps. It is it is a it is a long way to grow an app store, and it's it's a two sided marketplace. You need to talk to engineers to launch stuff. Um, but that being said, people already post like made their own apps. Um, it's I think right now we have about twenty eighteen um, like third party apps in the app store, which is still a small amount. But given that it's just been like what two months, um, I think it's 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 perfectly fine. Um, and so the idea behind the App Store for Time is that um, if you take a look at SaaS companies, they do have integrations and they call them integrations because they integrate to a service. If you want to integrate with some of these SaaS companies, let's just say Calendly or Savical, they need to do the work. They need to go into the developer documentation. They need to create the um, API integration and, and ship it as a product update. For us, given we're open source, anyone can la build, launch, and ship their their app. Um, we've had a, a customer, or not a customer, we've had a, a partner who, um, Huddle, Huddle 01, who's doing like a Web3 Zoom alternative. And I think they said like they tried like 20 emails, three months of conversations to be integrated into Calendly. And then they saw us as an open source alternative and they opened a PR and they wrote the code and they shipped the app in three days. Right, because that's just what an app store is supposed to be. You, like Apple doesn't. I mean, Apple is is horrendous already in terms of time to verify an app. But still, it's so much easier to launch on Google Play Store and Apple um, than to ask Apple, "Hey, do you want me to have this on your iPhone?" Right, um, and that's kind of like how we see this whole idea around um, apps for time. Um, there's some really cool apps like um, I have an aura ring, um, which like tells me if I had a good night of sleep or bad night of sleep. And we have an app which is called Vital, which is by another company, Vital.io, or TryVital.io, um, or .com maybe. Uh, I got to check. Um, and basically, when my aura says you had like a terrible night of sleep, it will auto reschedule my morning meetings, right? So that's something where Calendly wouldn't build that. like it would not be anywhere on the roadmap for good reasons. Like, like they shouldn't be building that, right? But a third-party developer who is like, all right, what can I do with this fancy new API? Let's, let's, do, let's do this, right? Um, so that's what we believe in should be the future of open source. And, and, and also we've seen that with WordPress and it's 
massive extensions app store and um, there are some companies like Shopify who have a marketplace who are like technically not open source but have a really developer focused mindset Stripe has a great app store and Intercom has a great app store Slack has a great app store um, but I think with open source you take it to the next level because even the apps are open source so if we sell to an enterprise and say do you want to have the whatever uh, telehealth app as a as a default and and they say yes but like is anyone else receiving that data because of HIPAA compliance we're like no here's the code like take a look and choose if you want to install that application or not so I think uh, open source will always win in terms of like developer acceptance and and launching things quickly and 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 um, not waiting for the head of integrations to allow your app in your product yeah, we were really impressed by that as a as a differentiator for Cal.com. So really excited to see, uh, you know, look back a year from now and we'll remember when there were 18 apps on the on the store. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a there's a non-zero chance that this will not become a thing, um, just because that's always when you try something new and and uh, and run a project. But so far, we've been quite happy and also. Um, there's a YC saying like make like a hundred people happy and then turn those hundred into like ten thousand. For us right now, we have eighteen happy apps, and those should be a hundred quite soon. A- Alex is actually baking a cake. He he tweeted that. So whoever makes the hundredth, the hundredth app uh, will get a cake. <laughs> so if that's not an uh, incentive, I don't know what is. Um, a personal cake from Alexis. So um, no, but I mean. If it doesn't work, we just go back, call it integrations, and just integrate as our team. But um, I'm, I'm very bullish on the idea of building new apps um, that wouldn't exist without like an API for time, right? Um, I mean, just think about how many companies exist because of the iPhone. Like anywhere from Tinder to, Shop to Spotify would not exist. Um, and I think there's a new uh, wave of people living in their calendar because of remote work and, and more scattered like fracture time and so if we become that app store that would be amazing if we don't then we just keep on growing as a enterprise business Love that. well pierre we want to ask a couple more questions uh, appreciate your time today i guess to round us out with that vision connecting a billion people by 2031 what steps are you really focusing on this year with the raise and in the, in the coming years i guess in a short to medium term to get you towards that vision in the next eight nine years um, that's a that's a great question because I think um, what we do right now is very uh, very rare. We do both consumer B two B and enterprise at the same time, kind of. Um, some of the companies we have scheduling companies who provide enterprise grade APIs to connect to calendars. Um, the problem that I've seen with those companies is that they don't dog food their own APIs. They don't use the scheduling products on a day to day basis. They build an embed that you can you know, book, but it's not like 20,000 consumers are daily using it to use it, are daily like using it to, to um, send out links. And then there's B2C companies or uh, more like B2B, B2C companies who don't have an enterprise approach and they just do SaaS, 12 bucks a month, focus on you know, self-serve product-driven growth. And that's perfectly fine as well. Calendly is one of the biggest ones in that regard. But I think what we we really want to do is nail the experience, which you can only fine tune with consumer focus, 
but also keep the infrastructure in mind to really sell into enterprise governments and highly regulated industries, um, which these consumer-focused companies will likely not be able to do. Um, so for us, um, that's very counterintuitive for most companies. You know, focus is king. Like, be really focused on the, uh, the one thing that's working. But I imagine in, over the last, over the next eight years, as you said, um, this, it will be a massive shift towards enterprise because think about how many bookings a government is making, right? Like to pick up a license or your driver's license or your, uh, your appointment to whatever, get a, a property license or something. Or how, how much the American healthcare system is making telehealth appointments, right? Like those are numbers you, you can't think about because those are like in the probably in the millions per month for each industry. And uh, for us being able to tap into those markets with an infrastructure approach will definitely change the gears from B2C, which we do today, to more of, of an enterprise approach down the road. Um, with all the learnings we do in B2C applied to the infrastructure product. Awesome. Yeah, I love that approach. To wrap up the episode, we always like to ask our entrepreneurs that come on the show, what are some startups uh, outside of your own that you're tracking that you're excited about, either one or a few that come to mind? We always like to hear about cool startups. I mean, yeah, Stripe is probably one of the most impactful companies of this century. They sh I'm so bummed out that they haven't gone public yet. Like It would be an easy buy, and it's really hard to buy secondaries. Um, it is possible, but it's, like, it's, not, it's not really... Uh, like a liquid market for good secondaries like SpaceX and, and Shopify and, and not Shopify, uh, Stripe. Um, so Stripe has been just, it's kind of like a tax on the web nowadays. Like you're just comfortable paying 2.9% for any dollar you make, which is kind of crazy that everyone's comfortable with that. Um, and and obviously I don't want to pay my, build my own payment provider ever again. <laughs> um, so Stripe is a company I'm, I'm, I've been always... Uh, a big fan of, and I'm probably not the, the only one, given that they did YC and you had some like uh, like uh, YC only like office hours with with Patrick, and um, that's really cool. Um, other companies that are really interested, well, any company that I have in my <laughs> tiny angel portfolio, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not many. Uh, it's also very tiny checks. Um, one of them is Deal. Uh, the amount of headaches I had less because of Deal. Uh, it's deal.com d-e-e-l um alex is a, is a good friend of mine we did yc in the same batch um, and his trajectory is just bananas like from zero to 100 million i think in arr is just i think one of the fastest companies ever to, yeah. to get there some of them and um i use deal every week um when we hire someone we do it obviously as a remote company through deal and just send them a link and everyone's like wait so that's <laughs> it <laughs> because Typically, you know, you have paperwork and DocuSigns and payroll providers and all craziness. Um, and now just sending a link feels like cheating. Like anyone who's not using, and there's other companies that do that, but anyone who's not using like a, a similar product is, is really l losing out on, on a lot of uh, peace and, and uh, ease. So yeah, I think deal's gonna go popping in the next two, three years. Uh, I mean, unless they don't want to, right? Like good reason to not, to stay private, but if they chose to, I think they would have a kick-ass IPO, and so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Coinbase, even though they had like I lost 80% of my <laughs> like portfolio in Coinbase, bought on IPO was not a good purchase. <laughs> uh, I usually buy I usually buy companies I like on IPO just to 
there's a, I mean, there's this joke like time in the market beats timing in the market, which is probably also true if you spend it out over 10 years. Uh, but yeah, time in the market was not treating me well <laughs> <laughs> with that IPO. <laughs> it's like 80% down. I still like them. So please, Coinbase, devs, do something. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think those are the most impactful companies in the next few years. Well, I think that, that wraps up the interview. Uh, we always like to plug you know you and, and the company. Where can people follow you? Give the plug there. Yeah, well, my Twitter is uh, peer underscore rich. Um, the, the, um, uh, this podcast by Sam and uh, what's, I forgot his other name. Um, geez, um, I'm blanking out. Uh, my first million, is that the, yeah, that's the Sam and Sean. Um, they, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so they joked about my handle because I was, I, I don't think I was on the show, but they briefly talked about it and, um, and so they said, like, oh, look at this guy calling himself rich. Like, no, this is literally my last name. Like, <laughs> sorry. So, sorry. So, yeah, it's peer underscore rich on Twitter. Um, and uh, cal.com. If you want to talk to me, cal.com slash peer. Um, please don't book me. My schedule is full. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, um, those are, I think, the most important links. Uh, get yourself a cal.com account um, while it's still available. Usernames usually get... Uh, used quickly so if you want to have slash whatever your first name go ahead and do that um, well venture pill is taken oh good you got it right, yeah no work. by us <laughs> <laughs> okay good yeah and if you ever want to join a podcast like an epic one like this go to their cal.com account yeah oh and and probably send them an email first <laughs> we forgot to ask just just real quick how did you get the cal.com domain that can that had to be a hefty pen yeah that was uh um the whole process of getting a premium domain is probably 5x harder than fundraising. <laughs> um, so it was not only Calicom. We looked at a ton of domains. We looked at meat.com, which I'm happy we didn't get it because someone pointed out that it just sounds like meat. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't want to pay X amount of dollars for someone to be like me. <laughs> like, like yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, that would be big, big regrets. Um, no, but we looked at meet.com, which is obviously fantastic. Um, we looked at uh, Timely. Or there was a point where we looked at busy.com, but busy is like just a negative word, in my opinion. Like no one really wants to be busy. Um, and so the meet.com um, negotiations failed. We had a term sheet that we ended up not signing. And then like a day later, like a, I think a company like that race from one of the tier one firms just offered like twice as much and we were like <laughs> okay <Wow. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um and i mean yeah those domains are expensive so we we wouldn't be able to do that without the the seed round um but that being said we had a really good deal with with cal um and the owner is, is uh also had a small um investment in the oh, company nice. so he's he's a shareholder as well and um yeah it's um really really happy it's probably one of the most impactful things that we've done and um we have cal.com slash open where you see kind of like the some of the metrics and if you take a look at uh september um user where is it yeah so in september we changed from calendar to cal.com and before september we had about 150 customers and then our growth rate was like 30 to 60% month over month. And now it's like from that day to today, it's like we added like 20,000 customers wow. in like six months. 
And you could say it's a coincidence, but it's literally the day we like rebranded and made the announcement um, is like the day where the graph goes like yeah. this. Take what you want. I'm not a scientist, but uh, it's definitely a, a big sign of um, interest from, from companies. More for consumers than for enterprise because they white label and they don't care. Um, but because we have this consumer first approach, uh, it's, a, it's a huge, huge uh, value proposition. Yeah, big name recognition. It's not only it's not only branding. Surprisingly, like some companies only do it for the branding, and it's still a win. But for us, it's also product because you know typing yeah. a link cal.com/peer takes me like six seconds over just say it Calendly is like four how many <laughs> five, five yeah. um, so yeah it's that's also not only branding but also just ease and and makes it easier to send a link and get a link and awesome. Well, Pierre, I know you mentioned you have another meeting at the top of the hour here, so we will let you go. Plenty more <laughs> questions. We Hopefully, we can get a part two going down the line. Um, we'll yeah, be sure to be too. tracking cal.com, but just really appreciate you taking the time to out of your jam-packed schedule to meet with us today. This was awesome. Big fans of cal.com. Well, it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday. I was in a hammock. Uh, <laughs> well, so well we appreciate yeah. you leaving the hammock then to, to, do, <laughs> to do this interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was thanks. awesome. Cool. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam. I'm Brandon. And this is VenturePill. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. Signing off. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little okey, okey, dokey. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do that.